is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Have you ever met, how do I put this, what I call a real bad, you know, ASS, a real, a tough guy or a tough woman or whatever. Have you ever met anybody like that? Now, I guess I have. I used to have a Harley and we would sometimes go down to bike weekend at Myrtle Beach and, and you saw some of those guys. I mean, they were big, muscular, hairy, maybe tattoos all over their body. They, they looked like some real bad you-know-what. And uh, But they, they were they were basically good people. I mean, if you broke down or if you needed help, they would, they, would, they would give you their tattoo right off their backs if they could. And they were there to help you. And, and so they were, uh, even though they were rough around the edges, they were basically good people. Now, I want to look at some tough guys in the Bible. And I want to look at some tough women in the Bible also. First one I want to look at is Elijah. Now, the king said, I want to talk to Elijah. Why don't you soldiers go out and get him for me? And, uh, you know, in, in, it was, it's amazing in the scripture, this is found in 2 Kings 1 and verse 8, how they identified Elijah. Notice this, and they answered him, and they said, look, he's a hairy man, girt with a girdle of leather around his loins. And he notice, notice the response. And immediately he said, it's Elijah, the Tishbite. You know, when you can identify someone just by their physical appearance, you know, he, he's a hairy man, you know, he's a big man, muscular, he's got a leather belt around his waist, and immediately, <clears throat> oh, that's Elijah. Okay, Elijah was a bad you-know-what. If Elijah was alive today, he'd come riding on a Harley, probably. But notice what's happened. The king wanted to talk to Elijah. This is 2 Kings 1 and verse 9. Then the king sent unto him captains of fifty with, their, with his fifties, and went up to him, and behold, he sat on top of a hill. Now, Elijah is on top of a hill. There he is, perched on top of the hill. And he spake unto them, and he said, You men of God, the king has said, Come down. And Elijah answered and said to the captains of fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and your fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Now, this is what you call a real bad you-know-what. I mean, this, this, is, this is something else right here. Well, let's continue on and notice what else happened. And again, also he sent unto him another captain of 50 with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, thus has the king said, come down quickly. <clears throat> and Elijah answered and said, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now, you've heard of the statement, three strikes, you're out. Okay. And he sent again a captain of the third 50 with his 50. You know, by this time, I don't know why the second 50 didn't figure this one out. But by this time, you know, the, the third 50 that gets there, the captain of 50, they're looking at 100 smoldering, smoking, burnt corpses lying on the ground. 
And I guess it got his attention. I guess he wised up. You know, I guess he put two and two together. You know, two plus two equal 100 dead men on the ground, whatever. All right. And the third captain of 50 went up and said, and fell on his face before Elijah. Notice, notice the humility. Fell on his face before Elijah and besought him and said to him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 servants be precious in your sight. And behold, there came down fire from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former 50s with their 50s. You know, he's just rehearsing what had just taken place. He's rehearsing what he's seeing with his eyes here. And he says, let our lives be precious in your sight. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, go down with him, be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. You know, Elijah was a real tough guy. I mean, tough. Why am I making this point? I'm making this point because I think a lot of times when it comes to religion, there's not much men can relate to. I mean, just think about some of the pictures of Jesus that you've seen portrayed. Now, you do understand that all of those pictures, was a, it was a male model that stood there while someone painted him. This is not what Jesus looked like. Jesus did not have long hair. Jesus was not a feminine-looking man with a faraway gaze with his hands up like this. That's not what Jesus looked like. That was just someone drawn you know, a picture of a man, painted, whatever. But it's not what Jesus looked like. But what I'm saying is, a lot of times there's nothing up, nothing for men to connect to when it comes to religion. When it comes to, you know, it, it's just a passive, chalky face priest, pasty face priest, and fat, overweight television evangelist gasping for breath. I mean, you don't look at people like that and say, man, that's a bad, you know, that's a tough guy right there. You just don't relate to this. Now, I want to look at a bad woman in the Bible. Name was Rahab, the harlot. Joshua 2 and verse 3. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are coming to thee, which are entered into your house, that they may come to search, and they have come to search out all the country. And the woman took the men and hid them, and said thus, there came, into, came men unto me, but I don't know where they were or where they've gone. She lied in order to protect the spies. And it came to pass after the time of the shutting up of the gates, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I don't know. Pursue after them quickly and you shall overtake them. But, notice what happened. She had brought them up on the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. So she hid them and she lied and she said, oh, the men, go, they, they left the house, go pursue them. Now, why did Rahab do this? Well, she knew that the men were special. In fact, Joshua 2 and verse 9 and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. In other words, she knew that these spies had favor with God and she lied to keep them safe. Now, what does the word of God say about Rahab the harlot? Well, it says she's going to hell for lying, right? 
Uh, no, you, you missed the point. You missed the point. Hebrews 11 and verse 31 says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. Notice this. Here is a woman in the hero hall of fame. And Hebrews 11 is about all of the heroes hall of fame that are going to be in the kingdom of God. And here Rahab the harlot is going to be in there. Now, does that fit your concept of religion? Does that fit your concept of what is right and what is wrong? Now, am I saying that we should go around lying? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that sometimes we miss the point when it comes to religion. We miss the boat when it comes to religion. Now, I want to look at another tough guy. His name was David. 1 Samuel 21 and verse 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Ashkish, the king of Gath. And the servant of Ashkish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one another of him and dance and saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid because of the king of Gath. And he charged, and he changed, notice this, he changed his behavior before them and flamed himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the door of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. In other words, David was acting like a crazy man. And the king said to his servants, he said, look, you see this how this man is mad? Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen? that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David pretended to be a madman. He pretended to be crazy to save his hide. Have you ever done that? Have you ever pretended to be crazy? Well, maybe you're not pretending, but uh, that's another story. But, but anyway, and you know, it was a lie. David was not crazy. Well, what, is the, what does the Bible say about David? Well, actually, the Bible refers to David, King David, as a man after God's own heart. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not promoting that we go around lying or acting crazy or anything like that. I'm just saying that sometimes our view of religion, I think sometimes we got it all wrong about the people that God uses. You know, they don't have to be perfect the people that God uses. They don't have to be perfect. They make mistakes. They do sometimes some funny things. But they do it for the right reason. The right reason. Now we're looking at another tough guy in your Bible. John 2 and verse 14. And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords... He drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the table. You know, this is a fascinating story. He broke out a can of whip, you know what, and he's throwing people out of the temple. He's throwing people out of the church. I mean, imagine driving up to your church and all of a sudden, out the door, here's a person thrown out by the scuff, uh, you know, someone then grabbed him by the scuff of the collar or whatever, scuff of the neck, and he's throwing him out the door. And it's Jesus in there cleansing the church. He's cleansing all the hypocrites. 
and he's thrown out half the church out the door. Imagine seeing that. What would you think of Jesus throwing people out of the church? You know, it's like that saying, don't let the doorknob hit you where the good Lord splits you. Uh, throwing people out of the church. Does this fit our concept of the real Jesus? And, what, and, and of the Bible in general, does any of these things fit our mold, our mind, whether it's David acting crazy, whether it's uh, Rahab lying about the spies, you know, whether it's Elijah burning up people, you know, does it fit our view of Christianity is my question. Now, let me tell you about the real Jesus. First of all, Jesus was a Jew. <clears throat> a lot of people will deny that one. Oh, no, he wasn't a Jew. Yeah, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus did not have long hair. In fact, Jesus was so common looking that often in our crowd, he was totally overlooked. In fact, when some of the people wanted to kill him, couldn't identify him in a crowd. That's how common looking he was. Jesus was not born on December, anywhere near December 25th. Jesus owned his own home. Jesus paid taxes. Christ had a large family of at least six brothers and sisters. Jesus was a personal friend of con artists, soldiers, fishermen, cheats, liars, thieves, politicians, religious leaders, and prostitutes. Christ was not crucified on a Good Friday, and he was not resurrected on an Easter Sunday morning. Christ is alive today and is planning his return to this earth, and the countdown has already begun. Now that's the real Jesus right there. I've just revealed to you the real Jesus. Jesus Christ. Something else that uh, <clears throat> I thought was what a tough guy might do. Jesus turned water into wine. In fact, about 160 gallons of water into wine. They had run out of wine at this wedding feast. And they had to have a wine run. And so Jesus just made 160 gallons of wine. Sorry, Baptist. That's water into wine. That is not... No, listen, listen. This, this is not water into grape juice. Grape juice does not get you drunk. Okay? You know, you've saved the best grape juice until last. No, that, none of that makes any sense if you believe that Jesus turned water into grape juice. No, he turned water into wine. Now, I know. I know. Well... I would have thought a lot more of Jesus if he hadn't have done that. If he hadn't have turned that water into wine, I would have thought a lot more of him. Now, I hear you. I hear you. <clears throat> and you know what I realized one day? I thought, you know, who turns water into wine and doesn't drink it? You know, Jesus probably drank a little bit of that wine. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to try to out Jesus, Jesus. Okay? All right. Now, I'll tell you what I think. I think Christians are good at giving themselves a guilt trip for things they do or allow. For example, I drink beer sometimes. I like beer. I don't like the taste. I like the way it makes me feel. Yeah. I, I enjoy it sometimes. Now, I understand everything is about moderation. You know, if you're drinking a carton, carton of beer a day, you're drinking too much. You're probably an alcoholic, you know, if you have to have that much every day. All right? Everything's about moderation. But there are things that are good that God has created. 
that should not be looked at as evil. You know, I have a pipe that I sometimes smoke. I don't know. I, it's just relaxing to me. I don't smoke it a lot. I might smoke it once a week or something like that. I like to blow smoke rings and watch them twirl up in there, you know, and put my finger through it. You know, I, I enjoy it. It's peaceful. You know, you know what I think? I think if, if the disciples were sitting around a campfire and Jesus and someone had a, Peter had a peace pipe, pass it around, I think Jesus would take a toke off of it. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. You know? But are you one of these Christians, you're always giving yourself a guilt trip for the things that you allow yourself to do. You know, it's gray areas. You know, I don't know if this is right. I don't know if this is wrong. But do you beat yourself up? Are you always giving yourself a guilt trip? You know, sometimes we maybe we feel guilty about that woman or man that you've entered into a sexual relationship with. Now, let me clarify what I'm talking about. If you're a man, you've entered into a sexual relationship with a woman. If you're a woman, you've entered into a sexual relationship with, with a man. Let me make that clear. It's pitiful that I have to make that distinction today because of how perverted and twisted our society is that it's forgotten, you know, for this call shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and the two of them shall become one. Men and women I'm talking about. Okay. But maybe you feel guilty about that sexual relationship that you've entered into. Well, listen. My opinion is this, that in, probably in God's eyes, when two people enter into a sexual relationship, they have, in God's eyes, they have entered into a covenant of marriage. In other words, what seems to constitute the marriage is that the fact that they, you know, he went into his tent and made love to, uh, to, to, to the woman, and, and in God's eyes, they were married. Okay? Now, so... This person that you've entered into a sexual relationship with, it could be just the fact that God now views you as the two of you are married to one another. Now, if you're going from partner to partner to partner, that's not, you know, that's, that's what you call a man whore. That's what you call a woman whore. Okay? You just need to admit that at church. Just get up there and say, I've got a confession to make. I am a man whore or I am a woman whore. And see how that goes. But it probably do you some good to do that. <clears throat> you know, to, to get over this thing of no commitment whatsoever. Just, you know, genital bonding with whatever is out there. Okay? No commitment. No faithfulness. No, no nothing. Nothing. No. You know, God is about commitment to one person. And you keep yourself for that one person. And you don't share yourself with every man, woman that comes along. All right. Romans 14, verse 22, tells us a powerful verse. It says, have you, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is the man that condemns not himself and the thing which he alloweth. Now, let me ask you this question. In your relationship with God, what have you allowed? You know, maybe you've allowed some things, you know, to do that you question. You know, I gave you an example of me smoking my pipe. I gave you an example of me drinking some beer. Okay? Maybe you've allowed some things in your life and you're questioning it. Well, in your relationship with God, what have you allowed? Understand this. You will answer to God for it. Okay? You will answer 
to God for that thing that you are allowing. Do you beat yourself up? Do you give yourself a guilt trip constantly? You know, what I'm convinced of is this. A big hindrance to knowing God can be what I call the religious guilt trip that so many Christians give themselves. You know, when favor or good things from God are viewed as bad or evil. You do understand, don't you, don't you that there are some churches out there that view sex as the original sin? Sex between Adam and Eve? They view that. There are actually religious people, churches out there that view that as that was the first original sin, making love. You know, and this is what I mean when you, when you take favor from God, when you take something that is good for God and view it as evil and then beat yourself up. <clears throat> beat yourself up. Now I want to tell you what a real man is, a real woman is. A real bad you-know-what. It's a person who accepts full responsibility for the things that he does and allows in his life. And it's a person that understands that I and only I will answer to God for this. I don't have to answer to my priest. I don't have to explain it to my preacher. I don't have to get permission. I don't have to go through 10 years of Bible study on this subject necessarily. I, have, I accept full responsibility for the thing that he does that I am doing and that I allow myself to do in my life because I understand that I and I only in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is, you got to understand, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You may not allow some of the things that, that I have allowed. You may look at what I just said and thought, oh, he's drinking, there's a preacher drinking beer, for pity's sakes. He's going to hell, you know, whatever. You may think that. And you may would never allow that. You might would never allow yourself to smoke a pipe or a cigarette or something like that. You know, but <clears throat> when you understand, as this verse says, do you have faith? Have it to yourself. Happy is the man that condemns not himself for the thing which he allows. We all answer to God for the things that we do, you see. And, you know, when it talks about judging one another, I think this is an issue that is one of the issues of judgment is when we judge other Christians in these areas, you know. It's not talking about you can't look at something that's wrong and say it's wrong. That, that's not judging, you know. That's just reality. If you see a minister, if you hear on the news a minister is caught with a prostitute, there's nothing wrong with saying what he did was commit adultery, you know. That, but that's just facing reality and all its ugliness. But often as Christians, we judge one another for the things that they've done or are, or are doing. I mean, what would you do if you saw your Christian brother buying a carton of beer in the store? Would, you know, first of all, would you hide it? <laughs> no, I, I don't hide it at all. I mean, I just, that, that's their problem, what they think. I don't care what they think. I, I really don't care if someone looks at me and thinks, man, he's not Christian. Because I'm answering to God for it, you see. I have settled it in my heart. I take full responsibility for the things that I'm doing in my relationship with God. So whether you're talking about Rahab 
the harlot that lied about the spies, whether you're talking about David that pretended to be a, pretended to be a crazy man, whether it's talk, you're talking about the alcohol that you allow yourself to drink or the smoke or the relationship that you got going on, uh, happy is the man. Happy is he that condemns not himself and the thing which he allows. Now, recently I was in the Mexican restaurant in Martinsville eating something, dinner, I guess. And uh, they have this marquee TV with different ads. And I got a kick out of the one. It said, life can be hard when you're young. And I looked at that and I thought, my goodness, life can be hard when you're young. Try getting old for pity's sakes. You know, brace yourself for what's coming. It's not going to get any better. I can guarantee you that. Life can be hard when you're young. You haven't seen anything yet. So I want you to imagine a wanted sign from God. Wanted. Tough men. Tough women. Who have accepted full responsibility for the things they allow themselves to do. Happy is the man. Happy is he that condemns not himself in the thing which he allows. If you would like a free DVD recording of this program that you can share with friends and loved ones, write to Church of God Rocky Mount. 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. And be sure to mention the title of this program. This program has been paid for by the tithes and offerings of the Church of God, Rocky Mount, and friends of this ministry. If you have been challenged by listening to this program, then consider that a great blessing. You can visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. It is the support of people like you that make this ministry possible. If you have been blessed by this understanding given to you today, then consider making a donation by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God, Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151.